By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. Oh boy. Okay, so... Today's episode is our last episode of 2020. Um, we decided to end things on a bang with Charlie Kaufman's latest work, which is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It's a 2020 released on Netflix film, um, but it doesn't feel the same way as most of the movies that we've reviewed this year that have been uh, 2020 Netflix films. Netflix tends to greenlight a lot of fairly simple, very entertaining fare and though sometimes they have a lot more depth than their superficial realities suggest, um, the, there, it's a little bit more rare to get something that is a lot more complex and really sort of artsy. Um, Charlie Kaufman, that's exactly who he is. The closest thing I could, the best way to describe this film to me is really it's more of a tone poem than a film. Um, Charlie Kaufman is a legendary screenwriter. He also directs this one. Um, he did uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Anomalisa and Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, a lot of the most um, imaginative and interesting uh, movies in ever made, really, um, have been out of the brain of Charlie Kaufman. Um, this is an interesting one because it's an adaptation uh, there is a book by the same name that this is adapted from, uh, which makes it very different from his usual fare. But I would say tonally, it's similar. Uh, it's very introspective. It's very emotional. Uh, it's really, really personal, um, which I find rare for movies that are also hyper-intellectual and require perhaps multiple viewings. Um, I think that this one is a really remarkably rare film in that it is the sort of thing that makes you want to watch it multiple... Well, you don't want to watch it multiple times because it's not necessarily the most entertaining viewing experience. It's very frustrating. It's often quite scary. Um, sometimes a little unpleasant. Uh, but I also think that it it has that um, really rewarding sense to it, that, that, that density that makes you think, well, this will reveal itself more upon further rewatches. I definitely think that's true. The more people I talk to about this film, the more I discover within my own thoughts about it. 
Um, so definitely, definitely watch it before listening to our discussion. Listen to our discussion. Um, this is me and Steve Argo again uh, on this call. And then go back and watch it again and think about it some more and then read some articles and then think about it some more and watch it again and think about it some more. And I think that um, the more you do that, the more it will unlock itself. And it's rare for a film like that to be unlocking itself in terms of its emotional truths as opposed to its purely intellectual and plot ones. So I think that it's a really valuable film, if not the most um, enjoyable film ever made. Uh, so I think that's all you really need to know. It stars Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons, uh, as well as Tony Collette and David Thewlis. Um, there is a voice performance at the end that you may recognize. So watch out for that. And, um, I think that's probably all I can tell you in good faith about this really very, very weird movie. It's very weird. Prepare yourselves, know what you're getting yourself into. This is the mind of Charlie Kaufman. But it's also the heart of Charlie Kaufman, and that has a lot of great depths and rewards within it. So um, enjoy the movie, enjoy the discussion, and um, this was our last recording for a while, so I'm not sure exactly what uh, version of itself the Corona Movie Club will be when it returns, if it returns. Um, But for now, I'll just say it's been a pleasure, and thank you for listening Um, thank you, especially to Steve Vargo, who's been my partner through this. Uh, he's been on almost every single call with me, even if it was often just the two of us. Uh, thank you as well. So the rest of the group, um, Matt and Susan and Saya and Nicole, who've all been on many of these, Brie as well. Um, you guys have been really, a, a real highlight of 2020 for me and thank you for listening. Um, so in whatever version we're back, we will hopefully be back. And in the meantime, Stay safe and be good to each other. Okay. In the meantime, watch I'm Thinking of Ending Things because it's crazy. So I'm going to take a wild guess and say that this was not your favorite thing in the world. It's it's a yes and no. Um, I like absurd like storytelling and visual storytelling and weird stuff like that. But I didn't really care much for the story itself, uh, what it was. What story? Well, this guy going. If w- I understand the story clear, like, <laughs> clearly, it's this guy imagining his younger self with possibly an imaginary woman or a real woman from his past. I don't know. Um, just discussing himself, his family, his life, life itself, the end of his life. And this old janitor guy is like, this is everything in his mind. Um, and I got that pretty quick early on. And I, there was a lot of things throughout the film that said, yeah, that, that's what this is. That it's about this guy going through thoughts and stuff but there's a lot of weird things going on like just lucy's whole dialogue doesn't seem like it's his mind so that's like a weird thing going on as well um but anyway it's just this bleak sort of like i the end of his life i'm gonna die my mind's going i don't think i had a great life um, and then it's sort of sad that he like has a sort of Oklahoma moment at the end, like this 
this is, uh, I don't know, like going out on a good note in a way or trying to make up a history for him that was good instead of his bleak one. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so I did not, that was not the conclusion I reached with regards to what happened in this right. movie. <laughs> I feel like there, you know, we tend to use the phrase, what was this movie about as a sort of catch-all for like the plot. I think I have a sense of what the movie was about in that larger sense. What I could not tell you is the plot of this movie. And <laughs> I did not reach the conclusion that it was Jesse Plemons looking back on his life. Um, because largely because of who had the narration um and then because it just confusing yeah yeah but (laughs) then I guess if you think about it if it was ultimately all from his perspective the idea that like she kept coming back to I think I'm thinking of ending things was him projecting on her every second she was with me she was thinking about breaking up with me that's kind of interesting I don't know. Did you read anything about, I was very tempted to look up a bunch of articles in between watching and talking so that I sounded smarter, but then I held back. <laughs> um, I watch, I watched like a little bit of something. Cause I'm just like, I want to confirm if this is what was going on. And it was just about like, is the old guy, this guy, that, that was the big thing. I was just like, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And I just want to confirm that that's, what was going on and this is his mind like that was the one thing and the the janitor was jesse plemons is what you're saying yeah i thought that for a long time but then when they showed old jesse plemons then i was like oh they're doing this so that we know that it wasn't him yeah i don't know i think it's just him in his later life like he's imagining himself at at his like retirement perhaps even though obviously he didn't retire because he's still working as a janitor. I don't know. Um, I guess you can be retired and still work as a janitor, but. Um, okay, so you did read a thing that confirmed at least hypothetically. All of the connections that I made in the film, this like this other person made too, that it was like, so, uh, that when she was talking in her mind in the car that he could hear her in some way, like there was some weird thing going on that he can kind of hear what she's saying in her mind. And then also when he said things like uh, they're going on, um, they're going to be putting Oklahoma on and then we go back and it's him in his school, like they're going to do Oklahoma in his school over and over again as a janitor. That's, um, and then when she goes down into the basement and washes the clothes, I know I was like, okay, I want to know what those clothes are. Um, and it, it was exactly what he was wearing as the janitor. So that's him like washing his clothes at the school, perhaps. Um, that's his like real world coming in on his imaginary thoughts or whatever. Right. Um, okay. So like, yeah, two thirds of the way through, I was pretty convinced the janitor was him. Yeah. And then I doubted it at the end because <laughs> they had, they were like, this is what he looks like as an old man. It did not look like the janitor. Right. But now that I'm thinking about it, the, the last scene was clearly fantasy. So, well, see, this is the thing. If he is the janitor, then it's clearly fantasy. If he's not the janitor, then it doesn't have to be fantasy. But, like, the 
I guess there's an explanation of like, if he is the janitor and that's what he looks like as an old man, but he spent the whole movie um, picturing himself as a young man. as In his prime, perhaps? Like- his, right. And then in the last scene in the like Nobel Prize Oklahoma scene, yeah. everyone, although Jesse Plemons looked okay, but like most of the people all had like really, really actively bad old age makeup yeah sort of it was like high school production of Oklahoma kind of (laughs) right right so I guess it's possible that he was like the imagined version of what his old self would have been like if he'd lived a different life yeah was resembled (laughs) a bad movie version of his young self as opposed to looking like what he actually looks like Mm. Especially because they didn't they steal some of the speech directly from a beautiful mind. Yes. Uh, so this was that. That's Which was the DVD also... that he had on the shelf too. I yeah. saw that. Yeah. So there was there's a big theme, like ongoing theme in the whole movie about movies, uh, in, like being implemented in his actual thoughts. Like they're part of his thoughts. Like they're like he's like I thought of that. No, that's from a movie. That sort of idea. Like there's yeah. there seems to be a big theme about movies and media being influenced in his mind and uh, memory, I guess. Um, so uh, I, I think it's valid that they would, like they would have the, that makeup, the bad makeup at the end. And what the other thing that was mentioned was in that scene that these are potentially everybody in his life that he is talking to, uh, singing Oklahoma and uh, like everybody he's met that he, even if he cares about them or not, um, it's just everybody in his life is in the audience because his father was there, the ice cream ladies were there, and Lucy was there. But the question is, is Lucy real or not? I don't know. Um, right. I don't know if that's like, you don't need to answer that, but I just don't know if she's an actual person in his history or a figment of like, that he made up based off the poem or something. Right. That it's just, I don't know. And like, what is the point of her? She's just a talking board, his conscience. What is she? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do find it intriguing that it was like a six week relationship. Um, And so like that to me suggests that she was real because there's this, there's sort of an inherent fantasy to the idea of taking something that was only six weeks and blowing it up into this Mm. sort of, this is the story I'm looking back on as an old man. It was this huge love of my life moment, but it was a six week relationship. Like that's not anything. And she probably broke up with him. Yeah. Well, and he, she probably broke up with him. And then I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by this idea of him, like implanting the, um, the voiceover in her head from his perspective. So I don't think so much that it was that he could like hear what she was saying, but it was that like he knew what she was saying because it was his, his own thoughts that were saying it. And she had never said any of these things. Um, And then there's like a trick of memory too, because she kept contradicting herself. She was like, I grew up in a farmhouse. It was an apartment, which is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember Um, that too. Yeah. And so like, if this was, Yeah. It's all coming into place. See, this is the thing about Charlie Kaufman. I find <laughs> him very frustrating and to watch, um, with the exception of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, that one's a good one. I don't find any of his movies entertaining. However, <laughs> I find them 
intellectually rewarding in a way that I don't generally like in other people's movies, but I like from Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Because the way in which they're intellectually rewarding is like, it's like they're working on an EQ level instead of an IQ level. Like they're, <laughs> they're rewarding after the fact, but like they're illuminating in a personal interpersonal relationship way whereas most movies like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or something that like people always say oh it requires multiple viewings and you have to think about it for a long time after it's always this sort of like pseudo intellectual nonsense that's not really related to the heart at all and what Charlie Kaufman's extremely interested in the human heart and the way we interact with each other um and so it's like he does the same thing as filmmakers like that, but he and they're equally frustrating, <laughs> but the rewards are more up my alley because the rewards I think are more engaging. And the more I think about his work, the more I like it generally. Like even have like watching this movie, I was like, oh my God, it's so long. Oh my God, I don't know what the hell is yeah. happening. Why is the guy from <laughs> Newsies here? But like, cause the ballet guy is, one of the guys from the original cast of Newsies. He played Specs. But like, I spent, you know, the actual experience, but then as I was trying to process it, because I watched it right before this call. So I was trying to process it while watching it. And the more I thought, by the end, I had sort of thought a lot about the beginning and I had enjoyed the beginning more by the time I got to the end and sort of, I don't know. I I appreciate him. I don't always enjoy him. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Like the the journey that he goes on, the the film like cuts that he makes, or the transitions going into one weird thing into another weird thing, and just like uh, glossing over a question and going into something else, and then turning and and like all of a sudden there's a dinner scene here, um, and like there's food on the table that wasn't there at all. Uh, that like. I enjoyed that whole thing, like just the way that he films, the way that he tells this like absurd story. So it was just like, it was like the direction is really great. I just, it was just like, I think the story was just not good Uh, or or, uh, good's the wrong word. Uh, Like I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like this kind this type of, theme this movie plot um uh yeah I, I just don't think it's this character is interesting this old guy this um but the storytelling was interesting see I disagree I think okay. that the story was fairly compelling um I will say one thing I was thinking about through it is um streaming is such a wonderful invention from the point of view of like access and um, like how much we're able to access. You don't have to be a huge collector to be able to have access to a ton of art right at your fingertips. You don't need to have the money to go to the theater all the time in order to see the newest movies. However, I think that it is really destructive for the form of television and the experience of film. Because while, you know, when we watched Uncorked and All the Boys I've Loved Before and all that kind of stuff, it's great that those are Netflix movies. Um, 
but this movie uh and like the example I always give is Roma but like (laughs) there's certain movies where if I'd seen them in a theater I think it would have had a better shot right I actually think I I definitely liked this movie more than you did but I'm very quick when I'm sitting at home on my on my couch with access to my phone but I like I did not give myself access to my phone. I put it far away, charging, <laughs> refused to pick it up. But even then, I paused a couple of times. I rewound a couple of times. I had to yeah. stop to deal with the dog. Like, there were all these moments that wouldn't have existed in a movie theater right. um, that I think were to the detriment of the movie because there's a, a hyper focus that happens in a movie theater that I think a lot of movies deserve and need. Yeah. Well, all movies deserve, or most movies deserve, and a lot of movies need. And this one is definitely one of those. And um, as much as I got out of it, just watching it like this, the things I found frustrating about it, I don't think I would have found nearly as frustrating in a theater. Um, And I just, I think that's really too bad um, because I'll (laughs) never get that first watching of this movie experience back. Um, But I do think... I think that, especially if I'd been able to see it in a theater, I actually think this movie has a lot going for it in terms of the story being told. I don't necessarily, I, I do do agree with you that I don't necessarily think Jesse Plemons' character was that interesting, but I think that's kind of the point, is that he's just a guy, there's nothing interesting about him, but we're going to tell his story anyway, because we only tell the stories of people who are interesting. Um so it was like, why don't we try and look at a, a person's life in an interesting way, even if it wasn't an interesting life? And through that, he was able to really, Charlie Coffin, that is, was really able to capture a lot of things that I found really evocative. Um, like the the whole in-laws thing, I found really uh, haunting in a way where I was oh, just was like, fun. oh, the like very particular uncomfortableness of that was so I don't even want to say relatable because it's not like personally (laughs) relatable like don't read into this my lovely people but like it it was yeah yeah, I don't know it was evocative in a way that I I could feel every like little speck of dust in that house that like landed on a piece of food or something that was then gross but she had an obligation to eat like that kind of thing just evoked such a like these are such nice people and I have to be in their home for whatever dutiful reason, but I just, it's just icky and not good. And (laughs) I don't like it. I want to go home and I want to do things the way I want to do them. Totally landed with me. Um, And I think that sometimes he gets a little caught up in his own trickery, which I don't love but I also appreciate that that's how he connects to stories and that's how he, that's how he, it feels comfortable telling an emotional story and that's fine. Cause whatever, as long as you get there, but I don't know. I think, I think it was compelling. I wish I'd seen it in a movie theater and I'm fascinated by the trajectory of Jesse Plemons career. Those are my main takeaways. Yeah. He's, I, I always like when I saw him, I was like, Oh, I remember him in like three other movies that I always forget what they are but I always remember him good or he like, he's like the villain or something or. um, uh, Yeah. I think he's, he's really talented. And he also, I think 
interesting writers and directors think of him very highly mm. because he only is, in, and I think he has interesting taste because he's only in good things. He's only in really interesting roles. He gets a lot of hard stuff to do. Like no one just hands him like <laughs> generic leading man. Um, he has, he always has like really meaty, interesting material and a huge range of material. Cause yes, he does often play villains, but he often plays like weirdos. And then he was also in like, he was just the every guy in a really lovely, complicated, beautiful indie about his mom dying that was written by Chris Kelly from SNL, but it was not funny. It was it's <laughs> called other people. Everyone should watch it. It's so good. And it's one of the rare instances where he's just playing a sort of completely non-sinister, just a nice, normal guy. But then he's having to do like a lot of heavy emotional acting. Mm. Um, but it's so funny. Like he he's the guy from Friday Night Lights. And he played like the sidekick of a sidekick. He's like the sidekick to the sidekick to the sidekick. Right, right, right. Not even. <laughs> and, but of, of that entire cast, he's had by, well, uh, maybe Michael B. Jordan. Although I would say maybe even including Michael B. Jordan, he's had the most interesting st- like career trajectory yeah, and yeah, the yeah. most interesting roles. Yeah. Um, and just of all people, when you look back on Friday Night Lights, you're like, Landry? Really? Okay. <laughs> He's also married to Kirsten Dunst, which I think is really funny. Oh, that is funny. Yeah, they played um, husband and wife in Fargo and it just worked, I oh, guess. Okay. But I like to sometimes think <laughs> about it in like the fictional world of Landry Clark, his Friday Night Lights character. If you told him that he was going to marry Torrance from Bring It On <laughs> and just what that would have done to his brain. Yeah, yeah. I love it. But even like she picks really good movies too, I think. She's also incredibly talented but she's one of those people who's just like a little too cute and so people think she's bad because it it, it, (laughs) they assume because she's cute and she's really famous for a cheerleading movie even though it's a really good cheerleading movie that has a lot of substance to it when you think about it but it is a fun cheerleading movie oh i will defend bring it on it's the best movie um it's about race relations okay it just is (laughs) (laughs) right yeah I mean, it explicitly is, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, she's really good in other things. She's done a lot of interesting work. Uh, Melancholia is amazing. So yeah, she, and, there's uh, more Beguiled. to her. Beguiled is, yeah. she's really good in that too. Yeah. And she's also, she's also good in Fargo where they met I haven't seen to bring us back to Jesse Plemons, um, who is very good in this movie, <laughs> though his character is kind of blank slady and yeah. doesn't. Um, I still, he does a really good job at it. Um, you know, all the little moments and the looks and and there's a lot of moments where I thought he might kill her which is always useful <laughs> um a movie like this you ne- like never knowing when he might like pull a shovel out of the backseat of the car and just oh my God. murder her yeah it added a useful tension yeah, especially yeah. when the when the um lady the like girl at the at the twisty, ice, ice whatever cream. that ice cream shop was called, the Tul- yeah. Tulsi Town or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when she was like, I fear for you. And I'm like, oh, Jesse Plemons is a murderer. But <laughs> no, he wasn't. He was just like a nice guy who just did nothing with his life and then looked back on it and wished that he'd won a Nobel Prize and sung a I, 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 I had to look back for this because uh, she, Lucy is like, I, I've seen you from somewhere. And I think just before... She walks down the hallway. Just after, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the girl in the hallway, yeah. Yeah. The um, only reason I caught that was because that, I don't know what she's from, but that actress is familiar. 
and yeah, I, my brain, yeah. my brain is really tuned to, oh, I know that person. <laughs> oh, why would they be an extra? Oh, that means they're coming back. <laughs> like the, why would you cast, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. if there's like, if you're watching like an, a law and order or something, and one of the, one of the witnesses is like a weirdly big guest star, you're like, oh, it's because they're the murderer. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Not to say, I've just called everybody a murderer. She wasn't a murderer either, but I knew she was going to be important in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then I also thought that the other two girls in the ice cream truck were the two girls that were laughing at the janitor, but it's not. So I was like, where, like, how, like who are they? Is this something that, is this like a fantasy in his thoughts? I think they were girls? representatives of like every woman ever. Okay. I think that's what it was. I think he's got a little bit of incel energy and right. they sort of represented just like all the hot blondes who well, like I thought incest energy, but or not incest, sorry, um incel is what I said. Not incest. Why are you talking about incest right uh, now? Uh sorry, I guess it was just because my brain went to that word, but I meant a pedophile. Oh. Yeah. I did think that at first too. Yeah. I thought that was where we were going with the janitor. Um, I don't know about that, but I definitely think that the blonde ladies represented every blonde lady who didn't look his way or specifically, you know, those types of people, I feel this way about teenagers a lot where like, you'll run to them, like you'll be on the TTC with them and they will not even be noticing you exist, but they'll be giggling amongst themselves. Yeah. And you're immediately overcome with the feeling that they're laughing at you, even though they didn't even notice you were there. I feel like he was projecting that feeling onto like every woman he's ever met. And they were mm. manifested in those blonde ladies who were like giggling and not really right, right. acknowledging him. Um, interesting you bring up incest energy <laughs> or pedophile energy. Yeah. Do, do explain either and or both. Uh, just just pedophile. Um, so just like him looking at the girl singing and rehearsing Oklahoma. Um, him even like feeling anything if girls in the hallway laugh at him because he's old, like um, uh, at a school. Like that's like, I mean, like you're an old guy. Maybe they're laughing at you, who cares? <laughs> like they're kids, they're, they're gonna, they're insecure, you know? Uh, you should know that. Um, yes, but that's a very like mature and like self-assured way to view the world, and that's coming but, from your like but, really functional brain but that, that doesn't have crippling yeah. depression and stuff. You know? Yeah, but that's that's the thing is that he, in his old self, his old actual self, he still has this innocent uh, um, self. I don't know insecurity insecurity yeah yeah uh, about himself uh and and to others that are younger than him for sure for yeah. sure and i yeah i think that um i also think he the whole movie he's thinking of himself as i don't know how old he was supposed to be but like early mid-20s or like at least like 20s to 30 like yeah he was thinking yeah. of himself as that still and so when he was he was sort of existing in the world as if that's what he still looked like and that's who he still was. Um, I did feel certainly when he was watching the girl rehearse, it did feel a little predatory. And I thought that's where we were going, 
but then I, by the end, I was sort of intrigued by the fact that this whole movie took the shape of Oklahoma, mm. like the structure of Oklahoma and the way that like, there's like a third, a second act ballet that takes up a weird amount of time and doesn't make any sense. And like, it's all because kind of a dream. The best part of the movie, I have to say, is that of this movie was the ballet. The ballet. I well, love that moment. I mean, I, mean, I, I really moment, miss, I really love that moment. I was, I, I was saying, I've been saying this for months, <laughs> but the thing I miss the most, don't tell the theater people, is the ballet. Um, like in, in terms of like lockdown things that I haven't been able to enjoy, just getting to see ballet because it's not, it's not really approximated on screen often enough or well enough. Yeah. A lot of the like screen dancing you see is sort of, it's not really choreographed dancing. It's a lot of like walking around and creating a new form, like a new um, secret. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Scenario? Um, pardon me? Scenario? Scene? No, no, no. What's it? Um, formation. It's a new, okay. so like people, you yeah. just like run around, pick a new spot and it like, right, like, right. like dancing. Um, and so like I watched the whole Rockettes thing last night because I just wanted, I just have been <laughs> dance starved. Um, and so, yeah, the, I really enjoyed the ballet sequence and I really enjoyed, I believe his name is Ryan Stott, Ryan Steele, who is the, uh, original specs from Newsies, um, just dancers dancing. I enjoyed that part just because there's a part of me that just wants to see people do ballet. Um, I also liked it like in the context of the movie too. I thought it was dumb in the context <laughs> of the movie, except that it's very specifically this movie is taking the shape of Oklahoma. And if you're mm. going to do the shape of Oklahoma, you're going to have a large inexplicable dance, ba- specifically ballet dream sequence. Right. Yeah. In the second half that doesn't make any sense and no one understands, but everyone enjoys anyway, because it's pretty. See, I, I, there was one part of uh, just before they got to his parents' place in the car where she mentioned something that was going to be like perhaps he is thinking about proposing to her at at the house in front of the parents or something um even though she's thinking of ending things so like uh it was like he, she was she knew that she was that she was going to break up so he actually didn't end up mar- or like proposing but then um and then in in the ballet dream sequence they get married in that and then the janitor his older self i guess attacks and then kills him um and then the actual janitor sweeps up afterwards whatever whatever that means um but the the other the other part because we started with pedophilia and got into oklahoma but um the there was a part near the beginning of the movie where the janitor was going to work and on the radio it was some sermon happening and I don't know why I picked this up I just like really connected it with the snow because it it said sin your sins will be as scarlet but they will be white as snow or something like that there's some quote from the bible and then it's like really snowing it's like it cuts to and it's, it's snowing a lot so like I just somehow put that together and there's something there about the sins and the snow and the amount of snow and how much snow. And so there's just something there about maybe pedophilia, maybe other things that are like, just he feels like he has sinned in his life or 
he has this like because he has has sinned, um, whatever that the sins are. Maybe he hasn't, and he just believes that he has. Um, and there's something like there's something else going on there. It just wasn't big in the movie. Um, but I think there's a big theme there with the snow and that, and the sins. Definitely. And then of course in the ballet scene, there's snow at the end when he dies or whatever, and he's sweeping up the sweeping up the sins, if you will, and. That kind of perhaps is his um, a reincarnation. I don't know to be, to then go into the car, accept his fate, follow the pig, have his Oklahoma song, like, and then go whatever. The Oliver Platt pig. <laughs> yeah, Oliver yeah. Platt is one of those voices that's so like, wait, I know him. Oh my god, that's Oliver Platt. And then you stay and watch the credits and you feel so good that you were able to identify Oliver Platt. I, I was not able to identify, but I, I recognize the voice. Yeah, he's just got one of those voices where you know you know him. Yeah. Um, even though he's not like that famous, but everyone knows his voice. I thought there was a moment when I was like, John C. Riley? No, Oliver Platt. <laughs> um, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but that's such a testament to like the fact that you picked up that sermon in like the first scene is such a testament to Charlie Coffin movies are made for rewatching, um, which I don't generally appreciate when that's like a, <laughs> like not even criticism, but like a point people make usually in favor of a movie is that like, it, you have to rewatch it over and over. I'm like, well, no, <laughs> being able to rewatch it over and over, yeah, I think yeah. is a credit to a movie. I think it has I to be good the first time. Yeah. And then and then you want to watch it again to pick up the other stuff. Like yeah. That's, that's and I would is. say this one, I think, especially if I'd seen it in a movie theater, I think it was good enough that it wouldn't annoy me to say, <laughs> well, you have to see it multiple times. Yeah, yeah. But it is such a testament to like, I completely forgot about that sermon thing by the time we got to the end of the movie, at which point the sermon thing would have made sense. Um, so certainly it is one that like unlocks with more viewings and with careful attention and all that kind of stuff, which he always does. Because like one of the recurring things in this movie too is poetry. And that's like sort of how he approaches screenwriting in general yeah. is it's kind of like formless and everything's a metaphor and like, it's all that, kind that of was kind of the other, imagery. The other thing I don't think I liked was that it was a lot of like taking from things that already exist, taking quotes, taking, um, uh, feminism that's uh, I mean it's has been repeated maybe like it's like feminism from maybe 10 years ago that's still relevant today but it's just like stuff we have heard over and over at this point if you're woke if you will um, uh, <laughs> um, so like there was just there's a I felt like there wasn't a lot of originality in the story um, that's not like Kaufman's fault. That's the, the book that he's basing it on. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so that that was part of it that I didn't like. Um, that it was just like a lot of, you know, the platitudes and all the quotes, movie references, talk about the same old thing. Like they talked about that song, the um, that holiday song, uh, where the woman and the man are talking with like oh baby it's uh, cold outside yeah baby it's cold outside. See, what I found interesting about that is that their, like, woke feminist take on that is actually two internet cycles ago. Yeah. Because yeah. the last, the, the latest on Baby It's Cold Outside yeah. is actually 
that it was like a feminist version of like her rebelling against a society that is repressing her sexuality by saying oh I don't want to go but like secretly finding a way to stay is the newest the newest woke take I I read yeah I read all that too yeah so it's it's it is it did strike me as a little bit funny that it almost felt like that little detail of the movie felt like something from a 2016 movie yeah, but sure, this was yeah. a 2020 movie, so it was like he kind of learned the lesson, but like wasn't quite up. Like he knew that the the song required analysis, but he was like a little behind one that should be. <laughs> yeah, and that, then that and for some reason that also makes me question like what Lucy is like. Is Lucy uh, the outside? The outside world talking to him and trying to progress him or something um, or giving him information that he tries to wrestle with um, and that she isn't real and like I don't know it's just there's a lot of things going on and it doesn't matter which one is the right answer which I think, and I, think he, I think that if Coffin's probably one of those people who if you asked him he would say there isn't an answer and you're yeah. supposed to leave it up for interpretation and like it's fine, um, which I appreciate. I appreciate things that don't have easy answers or necessarily a right answer because um, they are open to sort of infinite debate and infinite discussion and specifically open to an audience member changing their mind because I started this call with my this idea in my head that, okay, because we saw Jesse Plemons as an old man, that means that the janitor couldn't have been him even though I thought that earlier. But then you changed my mind again. And mm. I think that that's sort of the essence of movie club, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for our final yeah, episode, exactly. I'm just going to say, I think that's kind of, you know, I'm somebody who always likes to go to the movies by myself. And then I come home and then if I write about them or I don't, whatever. But like, I process things on my own and then spew out my own opinion. And so there is yeah. value in sitting down and debating something. And you especially you sort of morphed into a bit of a, like, there's two people in movie club situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we've had a few people come come here and there, but we, you've been sort of the rock of movie club and having yeah. <laughs> someone who disagrees with me a lot, I think has been a valuable thing in yeah. terms of opening up my mind to the other ways to see these pieces of art that don't necessarily have a correct interpretation. I think that's really cool. Indeed. And I, this movie reminded me of a movie that I saw, Youth, the movie called Youth with um, uh, Michael Caine um, and Rachel Weisz is in it and a few other big actors. Um, and it's, uh, it's this other weird visual storytelling and it's about like retired people or people who are on like sick leave or it's just like at a resort. Um, and it's just about all these people's lives. Um, and they're all like weird kooky people. Um, uh, I'm just trying to remember everybody, every, every actor in it, but um, like Paul Dano's in it too. Um, uh, yeah, it's like that, that in this movie are, very similar but I think there's more of a lightness and fun to youth than this movie 
Um, and I think they both do a really good job in this weird visual storytelling, cutting to different things, making connections. And it is sort of about the end of someone's life as well. Um, uh, I don't know if anybody, like if you wanna pair it with that movie, um, I think it's a good thing to pair it with. Cause I, I think this movie is interesting to watch at least once. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we'll end it there and um... I guess See you next year, maybe. Maybe where I think we're going to morph <laughs> into something a new, a new post-corona form for 2021 to um, usher in a new era where hopefully we are post-corona. But um, in any case, it's the finale of something. So yes. thank holidays. you for listening. Thank you for being here, Steve. Thank you to everyone who joined us along the way. Thank you, Kelly, for doing this. For providing us with some entertainment uh, throughout Corona. And uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully there's more movie discussion to come.